Now, Russian forces appear to be advancing as they step up their attacks across the east of Ukraine. Fighting has reached the outskirts of the strategically important city of Severodonetsk. President Zelensky has described conditions in the region as extremely difficult. Russia has said it will allow ships carrying food out of blockaded ports in the south of the country, but only if sanctions are lifted. Earlier, I spoke to retired four-star general and former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, Wes Clark, and I began by asking him how he sees this conflict progressing. You have to look at this conflict through multiple dimensions. There's the military dimension on the ground, there's the diplomatic, and there's the informational. On the military situation, Russia achieved some early, easy success in the South. It hasn't been able to go far with that, but it's, it's significant. It's captured an oblast in the South and eliminated the defenders at Mariupol. This gives it the diplomatic advantage of having bargaining power in any ceasefire. In addition, the various groups in the United States and Europe are behaving exactly as the Russians predicted, that there would be perhaps shock if there was an initial action, but soon the economic interests, the fears of nuclear escalation, the general disinclination to uh, engage in conflict would undercut Western resolve and lead to pressure for a ceasefire in place, after which Russia can gain an informational advantage by casting Ukraine as the party that wants to continue the war and by concealing its crimes uh, and building up its forces in its occupied territories that are part of Ukraine. We're already seeing Russia saying that it will allow ships carrying food um, out of this blockade of the southern ports, which is having a really significant effect on global food supplies. Um, but Russia is saying it's only going to do that if sanctions are lifted. Um, I mean, that sounds a bit like blackmail, doesn't it? From start to finish, this operation has been about blackmail in an attempt to isolate and eradicate Ukraine. That's the Russian objective. And some people believe that as long as there's one country between them and Russia, they're safe. It's what I hear from and have heard from years of dialogue in Europe. Yes, these Russians, they're, they're certainly not like us. Uh, we don't want to be living like they do, but we can do business with them. Well, can we do business with a rogue government that launches an unprovoked attack, engages in the most massive ethnic cleansing we've seen in Europe since World War II? Torture, rape as an instrument of policy, Russification. These are the very things that the European Union and Western democracies stand against. And yet, I hear the rumblings of, well, we must have Russian oil and gas. We'll pay in rubles. Or people saying, you know, we must take into account that Russia is an important country. 
we should encourage the Ukrainians to give up their territory. This is this is um, what exactly what Russia what Putin anticipated when he began this operation. So the way through this is give Ukraine the armaments, logistics, munitions, support it needs. Let the Ukrainians fight and regain their territory. Let Russia peacefully withdraw. And then we'll settle up on the accountability of the trillion dollar destruction of Ukraine and thousands of war crimes that have been executed by the Russians. This is really a battle that's about the future of the world system. General Clark, we've heard uh, Ukraine's ambassador to the UK saying that he would like NATO to get directly involved to break that blockade of southern ports instead of giving in to this demand from Russia for sanctions to be lifted, saying that there should be military action against that blockade of the southern ports, which is disrupting vital supplies to so many countries. Do you think NATO should be prepared to do that? I think the United Nations should create a coalition of the willing to do that. And do you think that that is a realistic possibility now? I think that the longer it goes on, the more realistic the possibility is, yes. Do you think NATO was perhaps too cautious at the start of this invasion, that it shouldn't have made it so clear to President Putin that it was not going to confront him militarily, that that to an extent, uh, gave him the idea that he could get away with seizing parts, at least, of Ukraine? I don't think NATO was excessively cautious. I think NATO um, came together in a remarkable way, in a way that Mr. Putin didn't calculate. But had we asked for a no-fly zone in those early weeks in the year, in January and early February at the United Nations, it probably could have been established and it might have been able to deter a Russian invasion. It's simply a fact that nations didn't think of it, didn't ask for it. And in part, that was because so many nations didn't believe the intelligence that was being presented. We've seen some signs of significant dissent within Russia, despite President Putin's brutal crackdown on anyone who objects to what he's doing in Ukraine. Uh, a Russian diplomat at the UN in Geneva has resigned and so on. Do you think there is any chance that uh, senior figures within Russia could turn against President Putin, given the loss of life on the battlefield and the isolation which Russia is now facing? Of course, senior officials in his government are aware of these factors. The question is whether they have the will to take action. And that depends on factors we simply can't know here. Is there any more, do you think, that the West could legitimately do to stop Putin, to remove Putin? I know the West is not going to itself inflict regime change. But is there some way or something more that uh, the West could and should be doing now to try to bring about a change of course by Russia? Well, I wouldn't advocate regime change as a way of changing course of Russia. I would advocate 
supporting Ukraine, strengthening sanctions, and using international institutions to put pressure on Russia and continue its isolation. The way this ends successfully is by convincing Putin he can't win, starting on the battlefield and then continuing into the diplomatic and informational spaces. If that's done, he will withdraw. And just finally, President Zelensky himself has acknowledged that this conflict can only be brought to an end through negotiation, ultimately. Um, we've had figures such as Henry Kissinger suggesting that ultimately Ukraine will have to sacrifice some territory in order to find a peaceful solution. What do you think about that? Well, I think that it's premature and uh, improper to speculate on what it might take to bring an end to the conflict through diplomacy because Ukraine has said that they will not engage in diplomacy except through the recovery of their territory. And I think it's improper to tell Ukraine that it must surrender its territory in order to appease Western appetites for fuel, gas, and a return to normalcy. The whole concept of the rules-based international order starting with the United Nations, is a concept of collective security, that the world would unite against an aggressor in order to prevent aggression or roll it back if it occurs. Why is Russia exempt from following international law? That's the fundamental question that has to be asked. So I would cast it this way. I think in order to end the conflict, Russia has to agree to abide by international law and withdraw. Hundreds of gas-guzzling private jets took off this week as billionaires from all over the world jetted off to Davos, Switzerland for the ritzy and glamorous World Economic Forum. A week-long event for the ruling class to talk down to the rest of us. And it's not for everybody. It's an invite-only event. And once you do get in, they divide you by class. You get a white badge with a blue line if you're rich enough. You just get a white badge if you're married to someone important. Or if you're just a part of someone's entourage, you get an ugly green badge. You're not good enough. They keep the elites together. And they have their own little police state to make sure these people are focused on ruling the world. If you're not from CNN or the New York Times and you show up uninvited, they'll probably arrest you. And it's all headed up by a guy named Klaus Schwab, who's pretty much running a one world government here. He kicked off the week by saying the future is theirs, not yours. The future is not just happening. The future is built by us by a powerful community as you here in this room. We have the means to improve the states of the world. And the way they start is by tracking you. If you go deep in the weeds and what these people are saying at this place, they're openly scheming up some of the craziest plans you'll ever hear of, like tracking your carbon footprint. We're developing 
through technology an ability for consumers to measure their own carbon footprint. What does that mean? That's where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Hmm. Stay tuned. You heard it. The one world government wants to keep tabs on what you eat and where you go. All because John Kerry's a little mad that your cheeseburger is wiping out part of the population. People forget greenhouse gases are pollution. And 15 million people a year die because of the quality of the air around the world. We're, 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 we're dealing with a crisis here, folks. It's a crisis made by human beings. Maybe they should take their own advice before jetting off across the world on those private jets, emitting all that carbon. But to them, they have more important things to focus on, like preventing the next pandemic, since it worked out so well last time. If it comes 10 years from now, we should have far, far better diagnostic technology. That is, be able to scale up every country within a month uh, to diagnose their entire population. We're a little distracted right now, so getting the debate going uh, is happening slowly. Yeah, a lot of people are distracted by inflation, food shortages, you know, real problems. But the ruling class at Davos says, don't worry, it's all a part of the plan. We need to accept that there will be some pain in the process. Uh, the pace that we need will uh, will open up for missteps. Hmm. Uh, it will open up for uh, shortages on energy. It will create inflationary pressures. And maybe we need to start talking about that, that that pain is actually worth it. If you have all the money in the world, the last thing you have to worry about is inflation. It's our problem, not theirs. They're busy ruling the world. And shady George Soros says if we don't make their ideas a reality, civilization is done for. Fighting pandemics and climate change, avoiding nuclear war, maintaining global institutions have had to take a backseat to that struggle. That's why I say our civilization may not survive. Believe it when I tell you, these people don't care about any of us. They're just a bunch of globalists hanging out and coming up with too many bad ideas. Rand Paul, Kentucky Senator, and he joins me now. Should the American people be scared when the richest people in the entire world get together at a swanky conference and hatch these crazy ideas about how to make our lives better? Well, you know, if they really cared, they could have ridden with me. I was on a plane this morning. I was a category on Southwest Airlines. <laughs> and, you know, hey, that's something. Wasn't a private jet, but they could have saved. When you're on a private jet, they're spending five times as much of a carbon footprint. So if they really cared about that, they could ride on commercial airlines. But they aren't. They're elitist. But the other real danger here that's even more danger than all their phony caring about carbon footprint, the real danger is this. Look how bad your government is in a country where you get to vote for these people. This would be a government, a world government, where you don't get to vote on anybody. This is everybody's worst nightmare. 
the bureaucracy that we have trouble in our United States because we don't get to vote on them, we vote indirectly. Can you imagine the one world bureaucracy of all these elitists and their private jets that would rule our, our country and we wouldn't get to vote? So I'm dead set against this. And they used to call people who talked about one world government, they used to say, oh, it's a conspiracy. We would always say, no, it's in their mission statement. They say it at every meeting. That's what they're for. But uh, lock, lack of sovereignty means lack of freedom, and it means lack of responsiveness, and it's completely antithetical to everything our country stands for. Yeah, and I don't want to put down Bill Gates and these guys. You know, they do a lot for charity. That, But when you hear them kind of just dismiss inflation or, you know, oh, you know you're going to have to go through some pain in order to kind of go with my idea, you know, the American people hear that and they think, come on, man, you're not, you're not serious, are you? But it's not only insensitivity because they've never been to a grocery store and have no idea what things cost, but it's also that we now have a whole set of our political spectrum that's out there saying it's caused by greed. If you were in a third grade, third grade class, I would give you a failing grade if you told me inflation was caused by greed. That is the dumbest explanation, the most implausible, and that lacking all facts that someone would try to put forward. Inflation cause is caused by an increase in the money supply that increases the demand. It's done because we spend too much money. The Federal Reserve prints it up to borrow it. It floods the economy and drives prices up. If you don't understand that, they'll never get it any better. And my prediction is it's going to get a lot worse before November. What do you think about this tr tracking technology they're cooking up? They're going to track your your carbon footprint. I mean, I think that these liberals are already stressed out enough, Senator. Yeah. Imagine when they find out like everything they do is is killing the the ozone. I mean, they're going to go crazy. They're going to start yelling at us. Yeah, privacy is not much of a concern for these kind of people. So not only do they want to track you for your carbon footprint, the WHO has announced you know they're forming a treaty, and it's going to be this treaty for the next pandemic. But in the next pandemic. It's not going to be a, a, a Washington-based mandate on vaccines or a Washington-based social distancing or masks. It's going to be an international one, and they actually want to track everybody with a QRS code. I think that goes beneath the surface right back <laughs> here, but I'm not sure how they get it in you. But uh, no, I mean, it's no laughing matter. It is very worrisome. But whenever they talk about it, they have absolutely no concern for privacy. And you're exactly right. They don't care about the individual. They don't know people like us. They've never been on a bus. They've never been on Southwest Airlines. They've never driven a car. Most of them have never even driven their own car. So these are not the kind of people we want telling the rest of us what to do. All right. Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. Flies commercial. Let it be known. Thank you so much, Senator. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click here to subscribe to Fox News YouTube page and catch our hottest interviews and most compelling analysis. You will not get it anywhere else. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here, back from Alaska. Three lectures. Great time. Great place to visit. And if you like sunshine, you should definitely go to Alaska in the spring or summer or probably early fall. You get it all day. At uh, 10 p.m., it looks like 4 p.m. I want to go to Alaska. I've been there four times, but I've never been there in the winter. So I told the people to invite me to give a speech in the winter. I want to see what it is like to have 
very little sunshine as opposed to all-day sunshine. Welcome to the show. So I did a lot of homework on this on my column this week on the evil, hate-filled speech of Joe Biden. A, a bad human being is our president. That is my belief. I never said that about any president in my 40 years of broadcasting. So he said in his speech, and it's in my column about his speech, he said he listed a number of listed a number of items that were uh, examples of white supremacist murder, as if that is the big thing. And I'm reading, I'm reading to you about that about the the lie of I'm, I'm typing in here forgive me that's the reason for this I want to get I want to get this up right now there we go so he said in his speech gave a listing of examples of white supremacist mass shootings and I analyzed each one of them one of them had nothing to do with white supremacy. Only one of them uh, were blacks killed. And said last this week in Dallas, Texas. So I looked up what happened in Dallas, Texas. This is the president of the United States giving a speech at uh, at the in the city of this terrible mass murder of blacks. And he said last this week in Dallas, Texas. So I looked it up. There was a mass shooting. Three people, three women of Asian descent were shot, but they were shot by a black man. And the president of the United States, who was a liar, in other other words, not one who on occasion lies, he's a liar. And uh, he said, which is quite remarkable, somebody fed him the lie. I didn't expect him to check it out. Somebody fed him the lie. Could have been easily ascertained. It was a black man who did the white supremacist, the alleged white supremacist killing. So I looked that up. And I found only two places that reported that what the president of the United States said was a pure lie. Pure, 100% lie. And, of course, they were both conservative sources, uh, though the shooting was reported widely. I got it from NPR, actually. The, the entire world of mainstream media, not a single one, at least not that I could find doing a Google search, reported on the lie of the President of the United States saying that a, a shooting in Dallas was a white supremacist shooting when, in fact, it was a black man who did the shooting. No retraction that I know of by the White House, nothing. The problem is that the people, people on the left don't listen to shows like this. That's the problem. We know what they don't know. The difference between conservative and leftist is we know far more than they do about what is happening in society. 
Because we know what they know, but they don't know what we know. They don't know this. They don't know the President of the United States lied to the American people about an alleged white supremacist shooting. The whole speech was a lie. Last year in Atlanta, that was another one of his example of a white supremacist shooting. So what happened last year in Atlanta? 21, this is from my column at DennisPrager.com or Town Hall. 21-year-old Robert Aaron Long killed eight people at three massage parlors. The killings were motivated by his sex addiction and his religious conviction that those who tempted him should be killed. Race had nothing to do with it. And, of course, they were not black. They were Asian. I mean, he's, he, he, you would think that he would give all these examples, like the New York Times, which tells which has black writers saying how they wake up afraid of whites. They're sick. El Paso, Texas, terrible thing, terrible. This this monster, Patrick Wood Crucius, killed 23 people, wounded 21 others at a Walmart. Great majority of his victims were Hispanic. He couldn't even find mass shootings of blacks because it's so rare. I said, it, I said it was like a lightning strike, and that drove the left crazy. Dr- didn't drive them crazy because I was wrong. It drove them crazy because I was right. Remember, the left doesn't hate America because it's bad. that it hates America because it's good. Well, those are the examples that, uh, among the examples that the president gave. With this awful speech. I continue with... This critical piece by Heather McDonald in City Journal. Again, from 2016 to 2020, blacks nationally were twice as likely to commit a hate crime as whites, according to FBI data. In New York, 2010 to 2020, blacks were two and a half times as likely as whites to commit a hate crime. Blacks in Los Angeles committed anti-Asian hate crimes at five times the rate of whites in 2021, according to internal LAP data. Blacks in L.A. committed anti-hate crimes crimes at seven times the rates of whites, and anti-Semitic hate crimes 2.4 times the rate of whites. Blacks committed anti-trans hate crimes at two and a half times the rate of Hispanics. There were no white suspects in anti-trans hate crimes in L.A. in 2021. Blacks committed anti-Hispanic hate crimes in Los Angeles at 13.5 times the rate of whites in 2021. In other words, you're lied to by the President of the United States, the Democratic Party, the New York Times, regularly on a daily basis. If I'm wrong, I should take a leave of absence from my profession. If they're wrong, they should take a leave of absence from their profession. These are huge challenges to the mainstream media. The gigantic lies about white supremacy and white shootings and white hate crimes when it is blacks who commit far more hate crimes against minorities, other minorities, than whites do. Yeah, blacks committed anti-Hispanic hate crimes in Los Angeles at 13 and a half times the rate of whites in 2021. I'm reading to you from Heather McDonald. In the U.S., blacks commit the vast share 
of interracial violence between blacks and whites that is not classified as a hate crime. 88%. So you're far more likely, if you're a white, to be killed by a black than if you're a black to be killed by a white. I bring this to you not because of any issue with regard to the races, but with the issue of the lying done to you by every single left-wing source in this country. That is my issue. The authorities treat black-on-white crime as unremarkable, however, and rarely look into motive. Authorities almost always scrutinize white-on-black crime, rare as it is, for a hate enhancement, precisely because it is so rare. On May 11th, a man entered an Asian-run hair salon in Dallas and fired off at least 13 rounds, hitting three people, one in the lower back. The victim survived the attempted mass murder only because of the shooter's poor aim. Police believe the assailant is connected to the previous drive-bys. Had he been white, his shooting spree would have been an international story. Because he was black, it was barely covered outside of Dallas. There has been no hand-wringing about black hate. That's the example the President of the United States used as the most recent example of white hate crimes, the one committed in Dallas by a black. Had that been done by a Republican president attributing a white hate crime to a a black when a white did it, Democrats would call for impeachment. The Dennis Prager Show. So I'm reading to you from Heather McDonald on the the gigantic lie about all the hate crimes, shootings caused by white whites or or white supremacists. When every metric that I am reading in the article, blacks are far more likely to commit these crimes. To the to the extent that the president cited a white supremacist hate crime in his hate-filled speech in Buffalo, and it was actually a crime committed by a black, not a single left-wing source, New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, NPR, not a single one has reported the staggering error. Had this been done in the opposite way by a Republican president, that's all you would be hearing about. If you rely on any of them for your news, you are getting a completely distorted view of the human race, of the world, and especially of America. Completely distorted. I read it every day because I know that a lot of Americans get their news from it. This show has a subscription to the New York Times. As painful as that is. And the Washington Post. And the L.A. Times. As awful as the Buffalo Massacre was, Heather McDonald continues, it was almost sui generis. Sui generis means unique for its type. It's exactly what I wrote. Daily Mail picked it up. I don't know why. But they did. Where I said it was that a white supremacist shooting at blacks is almost like a lightning strike. White supremacist shootings like the Buffalo Massacre are so rare that they do not show up statistically in the tidal wave of black homicide victims between the ages of 10 and 34. Blacks going about their daily chores in inner city areas do have reason to fear. 
But the threat is not from white supremacists. It is from other blacks. What do you, what do you say to that? We'll put this article up at DennisPrager.com. Send this to friends. It might be too long for them to read. And it's so disturbing to their their make-believe world of white supremacy as the enemy. But it's still worthy of your sending it to them. The recently proposed government disinformation office may be on ice for now, but the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act of 2022 could be an even more powerful tool for suppressing opposing viewpoints by falsely characterizing them as white supremacy. Though there is no shortage of government officials already investigating domestic terrorism, the bill would create three new offices in the Department of Homeland Security, the Justice Department, and the FBI, tasked with assessing white supremacist and neo-Nazi threats in the U.S. A Democratic congresswoman laid out the chain of reasoning these bodies will likely use to characterize white supremacist terror groups. Quote, America has a racism problem, America has a hate problem, and America has a domestic terrorism problem, said Texas Representative Veronica Escobar. Expect the government to use the college campus definitions of racism and hate, that is, any political position with which the left disagrees. If you don't think that children should have their innocence stripped from them by premature knowledge of sexuality, you are filled with hate. If you think that a country has a right to determine who crosses its border, you are filled with hate. If you think that college admissions and faculty hiring should be based on academic merit, you are filled with hate. If you think parents should have a role in deciding whether their children are castrated, you are filled with hate. Those are the highlights of the article that I that I took uh, that I took to bring to you. That's an interesting one, Long Beach, California. Hello. Hello, this is John. John, it is. Hi. Hi, Dennis. The reason I called is this, just this past weekend on the Bill Maher show, this very same argument that you're discussing was brought forward by Bill Maher. And Adam Carolla was there. Adam tried to uh, put out a uh, counter view, but uh, somehow it didn't, maybe got, uh, it just didn't, it wasn't completed, so to speak, his thoughts. But this is well, unless you have the data there. in front of you, if I were on, I, I've been on the show, and if I were on that show talking about this, I would actually do something I never do, is bring notes onto the show. I, I can't memorize the data that Heather McDonald cites. So I would just read it to Bill Maher and his panel and the audience and see how they react. And I would then say, look, either she's lying or the New York Times is lying. They can't both be telling the truth in, in the universe of logic that God has given us. So that would be a great moment uh, to confront Bill and his panel and his audience and those watching with these data. It was a missed opportunity. Well, he, again, I mean, look, I'm very close to Adam, and he does a phenomenal... Yeah, and, and he does a... No, I know you're not. I know you're not... Uh, attacking him or anything, uh, or even criticizing him. I would have, my point is, I too would have been at a loss uh, 
I know the truth, but I don't have the data memorized. And nobody does. Maybe Heather McDonald does. So, as I said, if I were to come on the show, I, and, and I may, then I would bring these data with me. Because there's no, there's no other way to say it. You can say, till the cows come home, it's a lie that white supremacists are doing all these shootings. It's just a gigantic lie. And if as rarely as it happens, then that is what is focused on. I mean, the data that I read to you is just staggering. If you're an Asian, you're way more likely to be attacked, physically attacked, by a black than by a white. Just to give one example. Now, why is that not dispositive? Why does that not count? To be or not to be. That is the question. Where was God? Isn't God supposed to be good? Isn't he supposed to love us? Does God want us to suffer? Ten years, you're not finished yet? Why did you do this to me? Who are you? Bruce? I'm God. Bingo! Yahtzee! Is that your final answer? Our survey says God! Bing, 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 bing! Well, it was nice to meet you, God. Thank you for the Grand Canyon, and good luck with the apocalypse. Everybody, hey, 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 I won't tell you what happened here. I want to preserve Sean's dignity. So I won't even mention Sean. I have nothing to say about Sean and what just happened. Hi, everybody. Ultimate Issues Hour, third hour every Tuesday. Gave a series of speeches this past weekend in Alaska. And a subject that I addressed is what I want to address today. One of my speeches I addressed this, and I'd like to address this today in the Ultimate Issues Hour, the big issues of life. I would call it the Wisdom Hour, but it would sound pompous, but that's what it is about. And there's no teaching of wisdom. You know why there's no teaching of wisdom? This is a side comment, but it's important. Why is there no teaching of wisdom at almost any of our schools and the reason is because they're secular institutions, and no secular institution has wisdom. There are secular individuals who have some wisdom, or better, there are some secular individuals with wisdom. But there are no secular institutions with wisdom. And since we have traded in wisdom for knowledge, and you're not even getting knowledge, that's the joke. We're not, we thought we were. Well, at least my kids are learning facts, but they're not even learning that. So this is an hour devoted to wisdom, serious thinking about life. So my question, it is a question today, and I, I'm going to offer some answers. Why did so many conservative kids or why did so many kids 
raised in conservative homes leave conservatism? And why did so many kids raised in religious homes leave religion? In other words, people who love America, very many of them fail to produce children who do. And people who were religious, in many cases, failed to produce kids committed to their religion. What happened? So one obvious thing that happened is parents got sucker punched. They thought that by sending their kids to school in the United States, their values would be reinforced when in fact they were held in contempt. One president of a university, of an Ivy League Brown University, years ago said, the task of college is to have you question your father's values. I thought the purpose of college was to guide you to pursuing truth, depth, wisdom. No, it was to challenge your father's values. Actually, he was not being fully honest, but he was being very honest, but not fully. It's really to reject your father's values, not even just question them. So one reason that so many parents didn't produce kids who had their traditional values religiously or Americanly, if I may use that as an adverb, is they were sucker punched by the school system. I always reflect on this fact. My parents went to public school in the 1930s. And let's see, so my father was born in 1918, so he was 10 years old in 28, 20 years old in 38. Yep, it's in the 1930s. His parents were Orthodox Jews from Eastern Europe. And they were totally okay with sending their child to an American public school. Because these very religious people had no reason to assume that the school would undo the home's values. And they were right. In the 1930s, schools reinforced American and Judeo-Christian values. They just did. They... Until 1962, in what is, to my mind, one of the two, three worst modern Supreme Court decisions, they overturned the New York State School Prayer, something to the effect, we beseech thy blessings on, or we ask for thy blessings, God, on our parents, our teachers, our country, and ourselves, something to that effect. I mean, really offensive stuff. But uh, the Supreme Court found that offensive. It, it broke down the, the barrier of separation of church and state. Words that are never found in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, but it doesn't matter. So in the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, parents assumed that their values were reinforced at school. It changed 
dramatically in the 60s and certainly by the 70s. By that time, your kid was being taught the opposite of what you believed. So that is one reason why so many conservative, America-loving, freedom-loving parents have kids who, who don't love freedom or America. And why many, let's say, Christian parents have kids who have rejected Christianity. That's one reason. But it's not the only reason. Maybe as big a reason, maybe a bigger reason, is that conservative parents, religiously and or secularly, in terms of affirmation of America, they didn't know how to make the case for America, in the latter instance, or for religion in the former instance. I'll give you examples of both. So for many Christians, the emphasis was almost overwhelmingly on faith in Christ. Completely understandable, since that's the essence of the Christian message. Christ died for one's sins, and one affirms that, and one attains salvation thereby. However, a lot of Christians, certainly not all by any means, but a lot of Christians didn't go beyond that. What they didn't do is teach their kids what does that mean. So you believe in Jesus, and you are saved, but how does that affect your attitudes and behaviors in the rest of life? Many were taught, but many were not taught. What, what do I know about life as a result of my faith? How do I apply that to, if you will, non-binary, the claim that human sexuality or sexual identity is non-binary? Now, obviously, I don't expect parents to have addressed that 10 years ago, let alone 50 years ago since nobody was claiming that human sexuality was not binary. Of course it's binary. Male and female, that's what we are, just like the rest of the animal kingdom. But whatever the issue, they were not prepared because they relied on faith alone, but that was a mistake. Likewise, parents who loved America and its values didn't teach those values to their kids. What they did was assume that, hey, it'll just be passed generation to generation. My kids will love this country like I love this country because that makes sense. They didn't teach them why to love. I knew this my whole life. The issue that was neglected was teaching why. Why be religious? Why be American? That was not taught by many parents. I don't blame them. They didn't know how to answer the question either. 1-8 Prager 776. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. 
You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com.